the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. It's Thursday, March 12, 2020. Yeah. Uh, we have we're gonna have a a light drizzle, a light light background noise, during this ambient whole, sound. Yeah, this is gonna be one of those episodes that's like those podcasts that help people fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So, if you need to take a nap right now, uh, feel free. Good, yeah, good thing to good thing to listen to. We won't know. They don't. I mean, tell us that. podcasts are now. I would say the country's primary form of culture. <laughs> like you know, right. You're not gonna be able to see any live entertainment for the next couple weeks. Right. This is just just stay home and listen to podcasts. Um, has UCB uh, UCB has canceled shows? Okay, how many? Like permanently, Sus- indefinitely, uh, indefinitely suspended. Wow. The the National Basketball Association yes has, has suspended their season. Yes, the NHL suspended their season. Um, has the has the baseball done anything? I their opening day I think is not for two weeks. Right. So, so wait. I mean, I, my hunch is they'll suspend because I think that um, I think that. Uh, People have this feeling like, oh, it, it's just going to be for like the next 14 days or whatever. And right. I, I don't think that's the case. I actually think we're at the beginning of this. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and you wore your fringe sweatshirt. Right. I, I, I actually, I, when we've, I haven't been super active, but I, I, we're, we're on similar message boards on Facebook where people were talking about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival because that, as that is the third highest ticketed event in the world. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, a, it's the biggest arts festival biggest in the world. Biggest arts festival in the world. I believe I heard some stat that it's only behind the Olympics and the World Cup in terms of tickets sold per year. Ah, well, or, it's a good thing that neither of those is happening this year. Right. As well. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so I, I know people that there has not been any official talk of that festival being canceled, even though hundreds of thousands of people come to this tiny little city. Are you in the USA to Edinburgh, friends? Yes. But okay. well, somebody wrote an open letter. And I commented on it. Yes, I was like, did. that's like a decent question. Yeah, was that person getting shit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. So, I, I saw that uh, there was an open letter on the USA to Edinburgh page basically saying, like, hey, given that, you know, this is still spreading, given that, that hundreds of thousands of people travel from all over the world to come to this festival, we should start talking about what it, what it would mean to cancel it and, yeah. and what that would look like. And... Uh, and then the next, quite honestly, the next comment I saw was a few days later was yours, basically defending that person, going, "No, these are valid questions." Yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, honestly, people were like, "Fuck you, you're <laughs> fucking asshole." It's like the the fringe uh, has almost four thousand shows, right? Not people, it's ranging from shows. Like four to you know six or seven thousand performers. Alone. Yeah, and I think on a daily basis, there's like eighty thousand people in the in the city. Right. And there's like millions of people, millions of tickets sold over the, the month. Right. Um, and I did see a statement from the Edinburgh Fringe that was like, well, most shows are fewer than 50 people in the audience. It's like, yeah, but the Royal Mile <laughs> where a right. street where everyone is congregating, um, like for example, California just put out guidelines that is no gatherings over 250 people. And, Oh really? Yeah. Uh, that I know, came out yesterday. I know the. Uh, I, I got an email from um, the Amundsen and Center Theater Group yeah. saying that their three theaters will still be, uh, still, will be running shows. Yeah, um, I don't think they should either. Broadway just canceled. Wow. Broadway suspended for a while. Um, the, they, the Calif- they basically said we're gonna we're gonna put out some sand. You know, we're gonna try to be more careful and and, and you know, put out I, more hand sanitizer and stuff. I think they're gonna cancel because um, the the California guidelines are no more than two hundred fifty people in a gathering and. If you have a gathering, you need six feet of distance between people. Right. That's not going to happen at the Amundsen. <laughs> right. You know? Uh, and then, of course, tellingly, because um, I'm sure there's financial issues, uh, Gavin Newsom said that his his guidelines, which are not a law, they're just he's just saying no more than 250 people. Um, he said that they, they don't apply to Disney. 
<laughs> which is hilarious to me because it's like, oh, there's, you know, I don't know, 10,000 people there or whatever. Right. Um, That's really funny. So, uh, you know, this means all of your shows of 250 people or more have to be canceled. Mm-hmm. So that there goes your whole. There goes my career. Yeah. Goodbye shows. <laughs> that's that's why I'm not busy right yeah. now. Because um, all my shows get canceled. So I don't know. I mean, we're uh, I'm uh, Voldemort and the Teenage Hogwarts musical parody is going back to Fringe this year. Mm-hmm. So is Thrones. But I'm not sort of actively producing anything this mm-hmm. year, and uh, it seems like a good year to have taken off. Yeah. Is that uh, Eric planning to be back in Thrones? Uh, we're not sure yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might. He might not. Uh, also, Baby Wants Candy will be there. So um, I could be there in some capacity, but at this point, I'm not like a lead producer on anything. Right. Um, and it, it uh, I, I'm relieved to not have the anxiety of whatever that would feel like right now if I had committed right. a bunch of money into being there. Because, you know, it's only, what, this is March? It's five months from now. Right. Uh, you know, if I'm wrong and, like, this whole thing has subsided in five months, then great. You know? But it just seems unlikely. Um, although, it seems like people are taking seriously the social distancing. Yeah. Um, which uh, is not... I don't think it's that hard <laughs> for some of us. Uh, in LA, it's certainly easier in, like, Los Angeles than it is, like, New York City. Right. Yeah. Uh, has it affected the castle at all? Um, not really. They sent out a big email about two weeks ago saying, you know, we want to start considering this seriously and, uh, yeah. stay, you know, stay home if you're sick, wash your head, all the stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the main problem is it incubates and people can transmit it when they're not sick. Right. So just saying like, stay home when you're sick is a little. So they just kind of said all the same stuff. I have seen no official plans from them to shut down yeah. at the moment. Uh, My guess is, how many people are uh, in the palace at once? 130. So there's definitely 250 people oh, in the building. I think capacity is 450. Okay. And it's not a like widespread out <laughs> venue. Right. You know, like it's, it is everybody in kind of close quarters. Right. I know that, um, uh, yeah, I know a lot of colleges are closing down and such. Yeah. Um, so. um, I'm, I'm helping to co-teach a, um, a class at Princeton about writing hmm. and uh what? They're, they're on spring break yeah uh i'm i'm remotely so baby wants candy is oh, writing a project that's right that's right and uh there's a thing at princeton called atelier which is or it used to be called atelier uh which is the princeton students get to like work with a working artist to create something or, or just to like observe the process so we're kind of just like we're writing a tv pilot sort of with this Princeton class that's kind of following along, basically. And they're writing their own stuff oh, as cool. well. But that they are... does not know, Atelier is French for workshop. Oh. They are uh, uh, on spring break, I believe, or mm-hmm. they will be, and then they are not coming back to class for two weeks. They're doing it virtual. Gotcha. Uh, and then Harvard um, just announced that, like... Kicking people out of the dorms, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, after spring break, you can't even be there. Wow. So... Uh, so well, this has been the setup. <laughs> yeah, this is the setup. Uh, it's funny because, like, uh, I do. Um, uh, I was thinking the other day that, uh, with regard to politics, I think one thing people would love to do is is people would love to kind of be bored with politics again, to like not be that interested in what the president has to say, right? To like go even three days and not even hear like what the president, whoever the president is, to just be like, ah, eh, the president's just some person that doesn't have that much relevance in my life right and that is and that is i believe the slogan for the biden campaign yeah yeah 
Uh, and then I think that now it's a little bit like coronaviruses are sort of like taking up everything. Right. Uh, all the air in the room. Like, you know, I host three different podcasts and I think on all three, like one of them is about basketball right. and one of them is about theater. So we're going to be talking about what an uneventful year it's been for fans of basketball. <laughs> yeah. 2020 has offered nothing by way of yeah. shock or disappointment to basketball fans. Yeah. Uh, also, I think now, I would say if you guys were doing your Peller show this week, I would definitely recommend cutting the coronavirus jokes. Oh, we did. We, we cut them last week because, boy, did those not age well after yeah. three weeks. So you went back to the uh, Peller. I did. This week. Uh, was this a, um, uh, someone dropped out or something? Or Yeah, Max Maven had that last minute uh, reschedule. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, so... Uh, Jack immediately was like, who's the next who person? Is, who after Max Maven should do the Peller Theater? John and Robert. <laughs> right. Putting on t-shirts and selling a <laughs> fake tr- product for Shark Tank. A man that's been around for decades. He's contributed right. to the craft. Uh, one of the more famous performers uh, over the years, I oh, would yeah. say. I believe also written up in some publications as one of the most 100 influential magicians of the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. And, and... Max Maven. Right. Max Maven was there too. Yeah. Uh, although I have to say, Max Maven, I haven't read the new version of Maximum Entertainment. But oh, yeah. uh, in he, the first one, he does get one. called out. He gets called out. By name. It's really weird. Yeah. It's so, it feels so petty in that book for right. him to be like, yeah, well, think about someone like Max Maven. He was never as popular as he should have been. Right. Um, yeah. I, that is. Uh, uh, now, that being said, the point he's making, I think, is valid. That is a very specifically so targeted. <laughs> Uh, anyone who hasn't read Maximum, I remember Bob Dorian of the Junior Program had that page memorized, and he would tell people <laughs> Maximum Entertainment page, you know, so and so, and and I remember going to that page and reading the Maximum Even thing uh, before I like finished reading the entire book. And, um, uh, the the point he was making in the book was that. Uh, Max Maven never reached his household name status that he was sort of on track to reach in the 80s when he was doing a bunch of TV specials and such because his character was not relatable in the way that a um, Copperfield or Penn & Teller were. Yeah. So he was never able to really break through because his character was a little too out there and people couldn't really relate to it. And I I, I wonder... it's, It's interesting that I feel like in all fields, magic would be the one that that wouldn't be a barrier. Uh, what wouldn't be a barrier? Like uh, being kind of strange. Yeah, being a very strange out there figure. Uh, certainly not pop music. Uh, you know, I got. I'm gonna reread that section and maybe make sure I, I have it right. And then next week, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll make sure that I I have the information correct. Because I mean, think about. I mean, David Blaine isn't that relatable. He's weird and out there. Yeah. Uh, a different a different brand certainly, but okay. Certainly in pop music, you could be strange and be gigantic. Right. Um, I think in acting, it's okay. Yeah, I think be, quite often. I mean, this isn't a hot, uh, one-to-one to Max Maven, but like a Joaquin Phoenix is famous yeah. for being kind of strange Day-Lewis. and cold. Yeah. Um, even I would say until recently, people like Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep were not like, uh, accessible people. Right. Um, you know, that said, there was always, uh, the person who is probably the most popular, whatever, probably is more like a Tom Hanks generally right. or a uh tom hanks who we, who, hope, we wish who has a speedy recovery i would recovery. only assume that uh tom hanks and rita have the best of medical care also um you know there apparently is no real treatment except that the same thing you do if you get the flu just which is that. you know just wait it out drink water um i think it's uh wait let's talk let's, i, I want to check maximum entertainment 2.0 which uh-huh. just came out recently 
and see if he's still calling out Max Maven in that book. Right. Uh, or so as I, I understand, Maximum Entertainment version two or volume two is uh, is just a sort of updated yeah. version. It's not really a new book. I'm sure that you go through it and it's just like instead of instead of sending postcards to your favorite venues, it's like send them an email. Right. Um, you know, Max Maven is. Uh, I haven't seen a ton of him uh, perform. I do think he is in this weird pocket where his character sort of created at this time when it's like he's kind of this like proto Asian quasi like his style is a little like he's kind of wearing like a martial arts shirt <laughs> right and I, I, I believe that is actually his biggest level of success and fame came from Japan ah so uh you he know, speaks fluent Japanese he has a weird a lot of time there he has a weird um hairstyle <laughs> Right over the years, um, yeah. I, but actually, I don't know what I would describe from the perform- performances I've seen. I don't know what I would describe his like character as. Right. Um, and actually, I was thinking about this. It's very intelligent, but also very mysterious. Yeah, but also kind of professorial sometimes. Right. Um, I actually think that um, I I feel like I see more magicians that are. Um, more than other art forms, I feel like I see more magicians where I'm confused as to what their, the intent of their character is. Sure. Um, and I don't know why that is, but like, for example, I think somebody like Lizzo or Billie Eilish or, I don't know, FK Twigs or something like that, people that are prominent like this year in pop music, like, it feels like you can really... They're, they do 10 things and they're all like in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you see a magic show and it's like seven choices that are all in the same direction. One thing that is just a stock magic joke from what everybody does. One genuinely befuddling thing. Right. And then one like uh, problematic thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, so I think somebody like Zabrecki, who's kind of hailed as having this great character. I think a lot of it just has to do with his character is pretty consistent, right? And I do think Zabrecki's brilliant. I think he's genuinely funny, like not just for a magician funny, but just funny. But I also wonder, like I almost feel like he's competing against a bunch of people that don't just don't have right. clear characters. Sure. Um, and I think we've talked about this a lot, but I think it is a safe it is a safe thing for someone like you to bring a like a comedian to or an improviser to Zabrecki. Yeah. Uh, if you're like taking them to a show at the castle, because you know that is somebody that can yes. really deliver to somebody that appreciates comedy because there is that consistency and there's some real, you know, deep thought into that character and yeah. how it portrays itself. And I would say even um, people that we know and are friends with that perform at the castle or whatever, there's times when I see their shows and I think, um, A lot of it is, okay, so uh, a lot of it is the relationship of their ego to the audience um, uh, keeps shifting. The dynamic between, like, are you better than me? Are you a fool and magic is happening to you? Or are you some super skilled person that's smarter than I am? Are you the, like, you know, charming con man or whatever? And that that point, like, I feel like with Zabrecki... um, it's much more stable. It, like you, he kind of trains the audience who he is. And then by the second half of the show, you were relating to his thing almost the same way regularly for the rest of the show. Right. And, and so you're very comfortable. You're very, um, there's very few moments in his a show. You were like, 
wait, what was that supposed to mean? Or, you know, like if he just shows a picture of Barbara Streisand from whatever, like that's, that's a big achievement of his character mm-hmm. that he can just bring out a big photo of Barbara Streisand for no reason, put it backstage and it gets a laugh. Has he done that? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, I have something I really need to show you. And then he just brings out a black and white photograph of Barbara Streisand. I remember when Shoot um, got married, uh-huh. uh, his wife, Mari, who, uh, uh, you know, likes Magic Fine. <laughs> um, she was, uh, uh, she likes Magic Fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the most you can ask from a spouse, probably. Yeah. And so, um, so they agreed to have exactly one magician, and all, she she only agreed to have, <laughs> she agreed to have one magician perform at their wedding. Right. She agreed. Uh, well, is, is it because she would have had like ten? Um, I don't know, but she was. Just, I, I don't know how they arrived. Put, at this. Let, she let, was let, like, "This is the only magician I will allow." Uh-huh. To, you know, there was one Japanese magician that I knew from a long time ago that shoot one of uh, people that shoot trained, and he's like a close friend. He did like a dove act sort of. I think. Um, but the the only other magician that was allowed to perform their wedding was Zabrecki. Wow, that's a huge compliment. Yeah, and so uh, Zabrecki has this joke. I remember this maybe three years ago now. Um, he has this joke in his act, very prominent about uh, um, recognizing someone in the audience. Oh, uh huh. And he go, you know, and the whole bit is that uh, he, you know, they um, he asks where they live, and they go, "I live in uh, L.A." He goes, "I live in L.A." Oh, what town in L.A.? And they go, "I live in you know." Mm-hmm. Uh, Manhattan Beach. He goes. I, well, I live in Manhattan Beach. What? What's you know? What street? And then you know, you know, it's Jones Street. He goes. I live on Jones Street. And then so he's like, you don't recognize me. And then I, I can't remember exactly how he's he like, goes oh, behind the curtain. Right. At one point he goes, oh, you might not recognize me. Like cause I, I normally look like this. And he goes behind the curtain. He very slowly peeks out from like behind the curtain. <laughs> it's really creepy and really really funny. So she, I remember them talking about looking for wedding venues, and they would ask the. I would, they would ask the person who ran the wedding venue if there was a curtain by which he could do that. <laughs> That's funny. I actually reached out to Zabrecki to, to perform magic at our wedding. Oh, really? Uh, yes. The, me reaching out to Zabrecki to perform is, led me let down a long chain of events that had you performing at our yeah. wedding. Um, that is true. He was, I think he ended up not being available. Specific, now, now I realize I realize now that this is not an appropriate thing to ask a magician to do. Mm-hmm. Um, perform at your wedding? Yeah, no. I wanted him to do. Uh, uh, is it hug kill that he does? Right. I wanted to do it as Mary kill, uh, which he probably probably would have done. Uh-huh. Uh But but now it seems very presumptuous. Oh uh, sure. But but then again, probably is not the most presumptuous thing that a client has asked a magician to do. Sure. It's just not a thing I would ask now. Right. Knowing more about like because now I realize like those cards are all printed already. <laughs> like. Um, but it actually does seem like if you're doing a corporate version of that, that you'd probably oh, sure. want to have multiple ver- You know, oh, yeah. you want to have the one that's what like... What is he doing in his countless corporate bookings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you want to have one that's like, uh, it's all Pepsi and one says Coke. Right, right. <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, tell me about the Peller performances because yeah, so I, it I was, was a little, there's night, a wild card in at like two in the morning i'm watching max maven videos from the 80s like peak maven uh-huh. i'm just thinking to myself what in god's name were we doing down there replacing him yeah but uh yeah so on tuesday afternoon at about 1 o'clock uh raw i get a call and it says maybe jack goldfinger because i don't have his number in my things so he usually just emails me and i go oh boy okay um, and I was preoccupied at the moment, so I couldn't answer it. So right. a few minutes later, I call him back, 
And he goes, thank you for calling me back. And I go, hey, Jack, what's up? He goes, listen, can you do your Pella show tomorrow uh-huh. through Sunday? And I was like, oh, God, uh, I can't. I, didn't even, I mean, I haven't talked to Robert in a few days. I hadn't even seen him since our last Pella run. We've mm-hmm. both been so busy. Yeah, because as soon as the last show's over, you're like, we're never speaking again. Yeah, I threw those drinks in his face is what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I said, I don't even know if. Robert's available. I, I would be. I'd love to, but I, you know, I, I don't know if um, Robert can. So he goes. Well, I called him and he didn't pick up. So I sent him a text. So if you could get in touch, help get in touch with them, and we can figure this out in the next fifteen minutes or so. Let me know. Oh boy. So like we, because I mean it's Tuesday at two o'clock. The first show is Wednesday at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. So we we have uh you know thirty hours before the a show has to happen. So I understand why he's being so rushed. So uh, Robert said he couldn't do Sunday because Robert was helping produce and he was in the Astonishing Show show, which is the show that he and Ben Trader put on and Victor Yared uh, at the uh, Rockwell in Los Feliz. It's like a combined magic and puppet show. Very cool. They've been working on that for a while. So he goes, uh, well, I can't do Sunday. And so then Jack calls me back and goes, Robert can't do Sunday. This is all happening over 15 minutes and 20 texts, you know. Mm. And Jack calls me and goes, Great, so Robert can't do Sunday. And I go, yeah, hoping he'll still let us do the four days because I still would like that money. And then he goes, uh, so who are you going to do the pillow with on Sunday? Uh-huh. Like, oh, f- shit, I never even thought about that. <laughs> so I kind of freeze for a second, and I just, I'm like, uh, uh, oh, wow, okay, if you can give me a few minutes and let me make a few calls and send a few texts, then I can get back to you. And he goes, no. That's, he goes, you give me the names, and then I give the calls and texts. <laughs> and I go, okay, that's fair. You're correct. I'm sorry. Uh, and I go, okay. Uh, and I'm really, and like the first name I said, I think, because I just seen him the night before a Magic Bar, I was like, uh, Jonathan Levitt, he's, he's a cool guy. Um, uh, and then I was trying to think of his names. I was thinking of some old junior program people. And then after a, about a minute of kind of hemming and hawing, I went, oh, Taylor Hughes. Can I do it with Taylor Hughes? And he goes, oh, that's a good idea. And then I said, yeah, let me call. And he goes, okay, you call Taylor and see if he's available and then call me back. Mm-hmm. So I called Taylor and Taylor just happened to be in town um, and free on Sunday. Yeah. And he was able to do it with me. So I did the Peller for four days with Robert and then one day, one and a half days with Taylor because on, on Saturday at the 8 o'clock show, Robert had a gig. Robert was actually in a, a, a reading, a musical reading for a new musical that was written by the same person that wrote uh, You're in Town. Oh. Starring Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Neat. Yeah. Um, called Ice Boy, I think. Ice Boy Cometh. Something mm, like that. I wonder if this is Greg Cotis. Uh, I think it is. Um, so he couldn't do the... He couldn't do Saturday at 8 o'clock. So Saturday, Taylor did Saturday at 8 and then Sunday at 10. 8, 10, and 11. All of okay, so how much of uh, the material did Taylor do? A lot of it. Uh, did he play ukulele? He played the ukulele. Oh. He did a different thing. He didn't rap. Um, and he, but he did a, uh, he wrote a little, he had a song that he'd done at, um, at his old magic and comedy uh, variety show that he used to host uh-huh. uh, about like introducing what the show is going to be like. And it's very, very Taylor. And I, I you know, he kind of comes out the ukulele and I basically introduce us and I say, you know, just give me a little heads up. Why, 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 Taylor, why don't you take away the song? And it's a cute little song like you know, ukulele, you know, where it's like, welcome to the show. It's going to be a really good show. It's going to be the greatest show you've ever seen. Uh-huh. And then I, he has there's some jokes in there and then I like, I chime in with some jokes and stuff. And, uh, it, and it sets up all these crazy expectations for like what the show is going to be and all these crazy right. things that are going to happen. And then I sang a song after that that's two lines. That said, hi, my name is John. I don't want to be a wet blanket, but everything he said's a lie. I hope you like card tricks. <laughs> and, that was and, then, uh, so, and then did you continue with the opening card trick? Yes, yeah, so we did the, the opening card trick that Robert and I did, which cool. is Josh Jay's Inferno. Um, with a, oh, is uh, that what that is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, but with a really cool production of a card. 
And there's an egg shaker that turns into a real egg. And then, uh, so basically, Taylor and I did several of the bits that Robert and I did. Because Taylor called me and he goes, I don't want you to have to learn any new stuff yeah. for one night. He goes, so let me watch the show. And I, so I put it up on YouTube for him because I filmed it a few days earlier. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so he said, let me learn as much as I can. So I kind of took, there's a couple things that are really easy for one person. So for instance, the rope trick that Robert and I did, the ring on rope. It's easy I'm, for him. Exactly. I'm the one doing all the work there. Yeah. So I said, I've... He, he has to vanish that ring at yeah, the end. Yeah, he, he has to put a ring on a rope and uh, you got to do something with the ring. But yeah. other than that, I have to, I'm the one tying the knot and I'm the one getting the ring on the rope. So... So ring on rope was the same. Yeah, ring on the rope was the same. And then the car, the ukulele thing was basically the same once the song. And then we we closed with the drink maker thing exactly the same. Oh, okay. That's how he closed the show. And then uh, he learned Robert's card manipulation. Act. Yes, he did. He did. <laughs> so uh, so that was a part of it. Is is um So you did still you did you torn and restored silk? I did my same two solo pieces, the torn and restored silk and the tossed out deck. And then what so basically what we did is is we took out Robert's card manip and we took out the Valentine's Day thing. And we took out the two magicians talking at the same time right, thing. Right, that'd be annoying to learn. Yeah, they're all, almost impossible with the amount of time uh, we had. Almost as annoying to watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love sick it. Burn, sick burn. It's good burn. Uh, so, I mean, I, I so, sometimes burns come into my head. For example, someone tweeted today that like uh, they're like, uh, you know, it's inevitable that we're going to see an audience-free SNL soon. Mm. And I was like, sure. I mean, we've already seen comedy-free SNLs. Oh, hey, but I'm like, should I post that publicly? Probably not. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, so anyway, um, you uh, and what did he do for solo? So he did um, that. And that was part of it. Is I, I I was a little relaxed knowing that he has so much solo material that yeah. works in the could work in the Peller. He basically brought all of it. So he probably had like an hour plus of solo <laughs> Peller material with him. That's he awesome. had like his handcuffs, and he had a whole bunch of shit. Um, Gypsy thread. I imagine he did. Uh, I mean, I wasn't going through his stuff. I oh, did no. a little bit when he was gone. But <laughs> So the idea was uh, I, I knew that like we could basically, we met at the castle Saturday at like 3 o'clock. And it was, we just kind of talked through everything. And the idea, I, I figured for every bit that we had to take out, if push comes to shove, he could just put in a, he could just put in a solo piece there. Yeah. So he ended up doing, so where Robert does one four-minute solo piece in the show, he did like 10 minutes of solo stuff. Okay. So he did his... Rubik's Cube thing, which is like seven, seven minutes. Which I still have minutes. not seen. Well, it's good. Um, and then he did his uh, uh, Color Changing Silk, which is about three and a half minutes. Okay. So we did the... Oh, uh, so you didn't do handcuffs? He did not. I guess uh, Because we did the rope thing. To, yeah, we did the rope yeah, thing, yeah, which was a little too similar. So I figured... So that's what I said. I said, if, if you don't want... If you want to do the handcuff thing, we can just cut the rope thing and do something else. Yeah. So what, what ended up actually kind of taking a nice structure. We were able to, so what it was is it was duo piece at the top is the ukulele thing, and then he did his solo. He did the the color changing silks and then I did the tossed out deck and then we did the duo piece which is right in the dead center of the show which is the rope and then uh, and then now he I went first um, and I did the uh, the torn and restored silk and then he did the Rubik's Cube thing and then we closed with the drink maker thing uh-huh. so it was duo uh, duo two solos duo two solos duo now I don't want to cast aspersions about Robert Ramirez but Taylor Hughes is a sort of more robust uh, man yeah than than Robert. So right. did he wear the same T-shirt? Not on the first night because he didn't want to stretch it out. But then on Sunday, once the show was done, he's like, "Now I'll wear it." <laughs> um, yeah. So I I want to say that I think this is this is what that was fun. First it of all, this great. is what separates you guys from like the the Dave Tooney theory, right? Uh, the the ability to throw uh, honestly 
you and Robert kind of threw the first show together. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Over like, about three weeks. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. To construct an entire magic show in three weeks. And then for Taylor to jump in uh, so and He was quickly. great. He was super cool. He was down for anything. I think this is, this is, so you guys have this like skill, this expertise base that really separates you from hobbyists like me, right? But I also think that like, this is the kind of like vital magician's life that, that should be at the center of like being a magician, you know, like creating shows and like working with people and collaborating mm-hmm. it, because it doesn't feel very, um, uh, there's not a lot of stasis. Like, like you guys are actually like being creative, like on a daily or weekly basis to try to like, m- you know, create this stuff that feels much more exciting to me than the, well, I've been doing cruise ships for 20 years with the same right. 11 minutes. Right. Um, now maybe, uh, LA, my, there's a luxury in LA because there's maybe more performance venues or something. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, th- like, if I was, if I was looking at entering this world, this is the kind of like relationship to magic I'd want to have, as right. opposed to the like I make an act and I try to get corporate gigs. Right. Uh, it feels I, more like yeah. being an artist. Yeah, no, it's fun, and I had a great time doing it. Um, and, and and yeah, it was, it was weird. It was like because it was I mean seventy percent the same show because of the nine pieces in the show with me and Robert yeah uh, like uh, or I guess eight pieces of the show with me and Robert five of them were exactly the same exactly uh-huh. the same yeah more or less and so it, but it was still a very different show and yeah. so we had very Robert Taylor and I have a different chemistry than Robert and I do we have a different vibe and we yeah. have a different style and it was a different energy and so you could feel that in the uh, the room the, the energy of the show was different yeah Not I mean worse, you replaced was, a person of color with a white man yeah so straight cis straight white man so yeah. of course the Show had a different energy. Yeah. And it was, for some reason, received much better at the yeah, castle. Yeah, you got standing ovations every <laughs> every show. Um, so, uh, another thing from the castle happened yeah. this week. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so, just as funny, the day we actually taped that interview with Jonathan Levitt uh-huh. and talked extensively about how the stuff he lectures on. Yeah. Uh, it was announced that day, possibly during the lecture, quite uh, during the interview, quite uh, honestly, an email was sent out announcing the nominees for the Academy of Magical Arts Showroom Awards. Uh, so we just want to offer a congratulations to Jonathan Levitt, who is nominated for Lecturer of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I found out that night that uh, I, saw, I saw him Thursday night, the, the following day. Uh-huh. He, uh, I, before the announcement had come out, so for exactly when we had spoken to him about that, he did know he was nominated. Uh-huh. Because he had to, I guess you have to accept the nomination or something, you know, uh-huh. they, they give you some notice. So he knew, but he wasn't sure if he was allowed to say it yet. So, uh-huh. but we can say it now because now I've already voted on who I want the winners to be. And uh, and and congratulations, Jonathan Levitt, friend of the podcast, uh, who is nominated for lecturer of the this year. This category is insane. Yeah, so let's go through close up. That's uh, there's so there's close up parlor stage and lecturers of the year. Uh, it's 20 nominees, uh, 18 people, um, or actually 19 people. Uh, I mean, the nominations in general are pretty insane. Yeah, they are. It's a strong. It's a strong year for nominations. I've already cast my votes. I'm comfortable talking about what those votes are. I'm okay. allowed to do that, right? Sure. Yeah. People post in you know Variety magazine their Oscar ballots every year. I can, yeah. I can, I can do this. Well, that's anonymous, but still. So uh, why don't we just go down the list? <laughs> Close-up magician of the year. The nominees are Armando Lucero, Aussie Wind, David Regal, Hannibal, and Jared Koff. How many of these people have you seen, Chris? Uh, live. I've only seen David Regal and Hannibal. 
when was Armando Lucero in close-up this year? Could not tell you exactly. Or Aussie Wind. Uh, Aussie Wind. Ooh, I, I remember when it happened. I don't remember exactly when in the calendar year, but I, I remember a lot of people are talking about it. I was not able to come that week. It might have been during Fringe. Yes. Um, um, Jared Kopp is a is a, a a name. There's a there's a little pool of magicians that I all get confused with each other. Okay. They are Jared Kopp, Sean Farquhar, Shane Cobalt. <laughs> Um, there, there's like, and there's like three or four people. more where like the names are all just kind of like, oh, it's that guy, and I right. can never f- remember, uh, you know, which one is the sweet guy that everyone loves and which one is the asshole that everybody hates. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so no, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not I gonna cannot... say one of them is an asshole that everybody hates, but I will say Sean Farquhar is a sweet guy that everybody loves. Oh, there you go, and so. he's Canadian, right? So yeah, um. I've not seen so yeah I I cannot speak authoritatively about this category I know that Armando Lucero mm-hmm. is pretty incredible and I've I know Aussie all, Wind is incredible I've seen all five of these people live more than once I did not see all five of them in this run of the close up gallery right uh, but having said that I did vote on this category and for anyone who's like but John didn't see all of them it is physically impossible for every person who voted on this to have seen all five people we did I did it last year we talked about this we did the oh, math right it's like when you're nominating. All the members cannot see all of the shows. They just can't. Right? You know what they when, should when, do? When, David, when Aussie Wind did that week, there were, there were 28 shows, and there were 28 seats per show. That is less seats than there are members voting on this. If, you, if for a second you pretended that not a single non-member wandered into that room, if only 100% of members saw those shows, still not all the members, you know. Yes. Um, I think they should make available... Um, video of the five sets ju- only to members. Yeah, that is 784 seats. Uh-huh. People saw and Aussie how many, Wind. How many members of the Academy are there? How many members of the Academy? I mean, I would per- say probably 50% maybe, you know, which seems high to me, honestly. Probably closer to like 40 to 45% or something. Uh, but, but, oh, you mean the Academy is like 2,000 people or something like that? Oh, no, the Academy is, yeah, somewhere in the three or 4,000, oh, okay. I think. Oh. But I'm just saying that like, of the 784, how many people do you think are voting members? Oh. Half? I mean, in a... You mean, like, in a close-up show, how many people are members? In a close-up show, like, Aussie Win, someone who's a big deal, was, is getting lots I of... I think still only maybe, like, a third. Yeah, so... so and also, what's crazy is that two-thirds of the people are there, and they're just there me, with, their, with their corporate thing, or they're, like, there because they're out of town, and they happen to walk in and just uh, see, see Aussie, Aussie Wynn. I know, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> um, let's say I, I, I did that, let's say I did 45%. Let's say I did 45%. Yeah, which is, that seems very high. Yeah, that means that 352 people, but uh, 352.8, so 353 people that are voting potentially saw Aussie Wind. So, and, when the, I, and those people would have to have seen the other four. Right, which also seems unlikely, yeah. given the numbers, that all 352 of those people... Now, those numbers change when you get to parlor and stage, but yeah. I don't think they change that drastically. People aren't waiting... It's hard to get into the palace. I, doubt, I really doubt that that many members are waiting in that line to see like every palace show. Right. Um, uh, exactly. It is hard to get into the palace. Yeah. Uh, so... 
That being so, that is just my my soapbox for why. While I have not necessarily seen oh, every wait, this is all defense against a criticism that has not been leveled at you. Right, I'm just <laughs> anticipating it. <laughs> That'll because be the it, because, name. Because then, your... what other like award show could you go? Well, I haven't seen all these, but I voted for this person right. and not sound like an asshole. Yeah, that's true. So that that is my when you, if those of you who are listening to this and also voted, you also didn't see all these people. Well, that's what I'm saying. Them. Make put up a little yeah, uh, that'd be really video link to the because fi- close up. I think you could. Okay, obviously live theater, you still can't quite replicate what's happening. But I think a close-up set in that room, right? You can get pretty close to how it felt, sure. and you could, and especially you having seen a bunch of close-up in your life, you could extrapolate the like, the like, oh, this is an innovation, or this part's really good, or yeah. you know. Which of course, I mean, did Aussie you win? Did you say you did see Armando Lucero this year or not? I did not see him this year. I've seen him. I mean, probably four to seven times in that room. Yeah, over the last. Uh, Eight years, seven so years. So for me, the Armando qu- Lucero, I first saw many times because the first ever week I did in close-up gallery in May of 2013, I was early close-up and he was late. Ah. So that was how I met. So I, I have framed on and my he, wall. he hazed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave me swirlies. It was really, uh, really bad. Um, um, so I would be – the reason I'd be interested to see them if I was voting on this stuff would be um, Aussie Wind, I would assume, comes back – and David Regal, too – I would both assume that they both come with new stuff. Probably. Um, and then Armando Lucero, I don't know. Like, is he, you know... Um, yeah, I don't know. Armando Lucero and Hannibal, I would be more like, are they actually... Is it, is it just that they're executing a very strong close-up set, or are they actually bringing some... And Jerichoff, again... Uh, Jerichoff, I, I believe, brought new stuff this year. Okay. I've seen him many times. I did not see him this year. People said that... Um, people said that he was doing new stuff this year, Uh that was pretty interesting. I, I again, I think uh, it would be worth. I think it would be a worthwhile project to try to get more women into the close-up, uh, in, into the world of close-up. Right, which they're trying more and more uh, per year, per month. I would say more women show up. Yeah, um, they're usually. Uh, well, you know what? I'm. I'm not. I won't shy away from it. Uh, I think they are. They're usually sort of. Um, if they're younger or newer and maybe don't have a lot of you know experience performing the close-up gallery or it's the first couple of times, it seems like they're kind of buried in early, early close-up. Oh, and not buried isn't maybe isn't the right word, but that's what seemed to where they go. Then a lot of people don't see them, and then you know. Although that's probably true for younger performers, new right. performers of any gender, right? right. Um, I, and again, I don't think that the award moment is the moment to fix this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would just like to see more women doing close-up just in general sure. and, so and, that there's and, more of them in the pool. And you're not alone, and the board of trustees has – that is yeah. openly an issue for them and something they think – you know, they talk about. Because it seems like this category out of all the categories over the years is the most male-dominated. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, this is not a great year. For, quite frankly – If we're counting up numbers, this is not a good year to count up numbers. Quite frankly, <laughs> I mean, I think if we go back last year, too, I think also last year, I mean, you also only had two female magicians nominated. Oh, overall? And overall, oh. and I think those were also the same two in Stage Magician of the Year, but we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. Anyway. So who'd you vote for? I voted for Armando Lucero. Uh-huh. I think he is uh, a terrific, terrific, terrific close-up magician. I think there's nobody in the world that I could take to see his show that wouldn't like him, which is true for several of the names on this list, I think. Yeah, but I think that he has just been putting out Aussie Wind. I don't think he's here that often. He showed up, did a terrific week, but I think um, Armando Lucero has uh, Armando Lucero has been putting down terrific work in that room. Has he won? I don't think he has. That's that's kind of surprising. Right, so he's, I think he's long overdue. I think he's been putting out amazing work in that room for years. Yeah, uh, 
I cannot wait for his lecture at the Apple on March 26th. Yes. I hope that happens. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, if it, uh, he's terrific, and, and so I, I think it is long overdue for him. I think he's an important uh, person to recognize with an achievement in close-up magic. Uh, again, I am always toying with the idea of taking one of those Armando Lucero virtual classes. Yeah, you should. Um, in a couple months, it'll be the only way you can take a class. <laughs> um, how about Parlor? Parlor Magician of the Year. The nominees are <laughs> Arthur Trace, Chris Capehart, Derek Hughes, Hannibal, and Mike Pachado. Hannibal, double nominee. Double nominee Hannibal. Um, now, uh, again, I didn't see any of these. I saw Chris Capehart in Ohio. What'd you think? I uh, loved him. He's hilarious. Very but good. I saw him do the, he did a show for kids, kids, right? Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's very enjoyable. Yeah, he I did mean, a show for kids. And then, the same energy he brings. It's not like with adults. He's drinking a martini. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Arthur Trace I saw in the parlor, but not in, I mean, sorry, in the palace, palace but yeah. not in the parlor. Does so, he do uh, the modern art thing? No, he can't do his physimact. Okay. That, no, that, that, that painting is too big. Uh, so he doesn't, yeah, I, I think, um, I, I, so... These are all good nominees. I think who I voted for is not going to be who wins. Uh-huh. Um, I think Mike Pashada is probably going to win. I believe he. Uh, he's. I know he's won in Parlor. He's maxed out his close-up wins. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe he won Parlor. I think last year. I believe he is the reigning Parlor magician. Mm-hmm. I think he's popular. I think he's a big household name. I think everybody likes him and loves him. Um, uh, and uh, he is very very good. He's, he works very very hard. He puts out new stuff every time he, he does these rooms. So I think this is probably an uh, easy category for him to win. Mm-hmm. I voted for Arthur Trace. I think Arthur Trace has been a little overlooked in these categories, and I think he's always putting out interesting, creative, unique, cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I know every time I see Arthur Trace, it's going to be a little bit different, a little bit strange, and it's a little unlike anything else I've quite seen in that room. Mm-hmm. And that is the stuff I like to re- prize and reward the most. Um, you know, he he has a cool floating rose, and he has this cool thing with the sand, you know, the hourglass, and he has, like, just just clever, cool stuff. Um, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't think this has really come to pass, but I think about eight years ago in the junior program, a friend of mine who was a brilliant magician in the junior program who loved Arthur Trace posited that Arthur Trace would go on to become um, this generation, Tommy Wonder, hmm. like his ingenuity. That doesn't really come to pass because not a lot of people are really talking about him. I don't really know what he's doing. I, I, other than when he's at the castle, I don't see him ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is a shame. I think he could do really well on like a touring show. I think he could do really well putting out more material. Doesn't see, I don't think he really puts out any material. Mm. Um, which is, who knows, maybe what it takes to win an award at the castle. I don't know. But... Uh, I just think he's interesting, and I think he's cool, and I like the stuff he does, and I think it's unique, and and it's every time I he he kind of uh, he sort of is doing very very well the kind of thing that I think about for myself anytime I approach a trick that exists that a lot of people are doing mm. and that is that he does a my stream but it's very very different you know he does it with two big tin cans and a string across stage and then it, ultimately he makes them all vanish from one can and appear in the other one mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just, just, it's, he, he, he never just picks up something everyone else is doing. Goes, right. Okay, well, you know, I'll do it like me. But he, uh, you know, he never just kind of throws himself into something. He really breaks it down. Yeah. Really makes something out of it. And he's got this cool, like, 60s vibe. I just like him. He's got that madman vibe going. Yeah, he's got a very madman vibe. Uh, um, you can see his physic act on YouTube. Oh, yeah, you can definitely. In fact, quite, I think he's been on Fool Us, I believe, uh, which you can probably oh, check out. Oh, that's right, yes. So uh, uh, I voted for Arthur Trace, but I think Bashad is probably going to win. 
Derek Hughes is great. And Chris H- Capehart. Chris Capehart, I believe, has been not poor guy. Has been nominated, I think, every year for over a decade in this category. Uh-huh. I don't think he's ever won. But I just feel bad. Like that is like that is a, to me as a problem with with these awards. It's kind of like I don't know. I didn't see everybody. Yeah, Chris Capehart. Right, Not saying right, he doesn't right. deserve to be on this list, but it's like I think he is put there as a. I don't know. That that is them saying like. Well, how do they get nominated? Uh, you just can, you they, you're you're emailed a, a list with a picture and name of every person that performed oh, that week Lordy. alphabetically, and you just get to go through and you click five. You you nominate five people. Yeesh. It so, feels like there should, uh, well, there's always the problems of there being, how about a rotating committee or something? Right. That, like, I, ha, that, that, a ro- that tries everything. to see everything. Oh, that's cool. Um, because I was going to also note that I think uh, Armando Lucero, Chris Capehart, and Shoot might, might be the only performers of color on this list. Uh, uh, I, believe, I believe Armando Lucero is yeah. Latino. Um, and, 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 European Spain does is does not qualify. Nah, for they're white. Color. Yes, because okay. <laughs> I know I know people were talking about that when our t- Antonio Banderas was nominated for. Oh yeah, actually um, I actually don't know. It's a very complicated. I believe thing. no, I believe that is correct. That they that yeah. they are like not. Yeah, I mean it's it's also weird because white is just a word that we you know it's just this category we right. made up. Um, but yeah, generally like Danny Ortiz and um, Woody Aragon would not not necessarily be considered right. people of color. However, they are. Um, not American, so some of the issues that uh, right are, are are less like like they still might face issues of like xenophobia and right. stuff like that. Um, uh, they don't have all the privilege. That I just a white like American I would like to have. see more women and people of color on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, so stage magician of the year, stage magician of the year. The nominees are I have not seen any of these. Uh, Chipper Lowell, David Kovac, Gregory Wilson, Lindsay Benner, and Lucy Darling. Uh, in parentheses, Krista Hendricks, who is the name of the performer. Lucy Darling okay, I'm cu- well, I have a question. Yeah. So why is is Lucy Darling the only one where her real name is listed? Because that's the only one who's that's not her real name. I bet that's not true. First of all, but also um, that guy that guy was not born Hannibal. <laughs> um, well, then Christopher Hannibal. Well, I guess my question, like, I'd be surprised. First of all, I wonder. Uh, you, I, you know her, right? Um, I've met her. I would I, say. I'd be I, curious. I you know, we never hang out. If it's by her request, then like, I think that's fine. But I think that generally, I, I bet there's other people on this list that have modified their name in some way. Shoot, got, shoot is not Shoot's real name. Yeah. So like, but, but nobody, most people don't know that. But, but but do most people know her as Carissa Hendricks, and that's why it needs to be in parentheses? Or I don't know, but I think that is what that is coming from. Is that a lot of people know her as Carissa Hendricks, and a lot of people know her as Carissa. I Dallas. guess what I would say mm-hmm. is, if it, if it's if it's by her request, and that's how she wants to be presented, I think that's fine. I, I was just curious about that because there's something about that that's like, yeah, everyone has their stage name, you know. And if I ever get nominated, it's going to say John Accardo, and then parentheses John Accardo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, how, what do you think? Of, but for, uh, actually, clarify. This is Gregory Wilson. The which Gregory Wilson? Is I believe this? this is not son of Greg and Nani Wilson. This is this is Gregory Wilson. Rubicon Gregory Wilson. Okay, this is the uh, he creates a lot of material. Yeah, puts out lots of DVDs. Had a run in with uh, Handsome Jack. Oh yeah, about a DVD set or yes. Handsome Jack wrote or sorry John Lovick wrote a actually. Uh, how does Handsome Jack get listed in these awards? I, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever been nominated. Oh, I, I, I bet assume he has. I bet he's been nominated for like Parlor, and yeah. I wonder if it says Handsome Jack parentheses John Lovick. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if it did 
Um, so uh, this is the Gregor Wilson that John Lovick wrote a really rough review of his DVD set. Right. And then, uh, and accused him of not crediting properly. Right. <laughs> I love magic drama. Right. It's so, magic drama is like so difficult to even explain to a normal person <laughs> and then try to explain like why it matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, um, have you seen these acts? Um, so again, some of them, you know what, quite frankly, uh, only one of them I've seen this year and this run, mm. but I've seen all five in the palace. Um, this is not going to look good because the only one I've seen this year is also the one I voted for. Oh. I've seen Greg Chipper Lowell uh, many times over the years. Uh, he's a solid performer. He's usually a host of an M- and an MC. Um, he's perfectly uh, – you know what? I, I, he's a talented guy. I, I, I'm a little surprised he's on this list. Uh, I think that is kind of when it gets to, like, who do we know, who do we like, who do we trust? Mm. Um, I think there are a lot of foreign performers, a lot of out-of-towners. I think that's where you I, – I feel like Stage Magician of the Year is where you get a lot of out-of-towners because you know, I don't feel like you have a lot of big stage magicians in L.A. Mm. And so I feel that, m- generally speaking, the palace is populated with more out-of-town performers than any other room. Mm. Uh, that Not saying there's not out-of-town performers in the other rooms, but you know you have three people in there as opposed to like, two in the parlor. I feel generally speaking, you'll have a lot more like, yeah, um, foreign performers mm. commenting in, uh, or even just from out, you know, somewhere else in America doing that room. So uh, I wish there was some more, you know, the Spaniards and the Swedes who do the castle every year. Yeah, like, um, um, like last that, year was Miguel Munoz nominated right. for stage magician of the year. I, I don't think he was no. Um, and it's like probably because not a lot of the people from the community saw him right, maybe or no, and but also really but also he had won the grand prix right so it's weird to win the grand prix but then not not get- one of the AMA, <laughs> right not even nominated the AMA. yeah so it's, it's a very bizarre thing so uh yeah like i think the swedes uh uh tom stone oh, that's right. yeah, yeah. Berg, and axel adler often put on an incredible show that uh um i would love to see them recognize it's like mm-hmm. stuff like that um I think uh, you got uh, that vaudeville 2000 thing or whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, Raymond Crow um, is someone I'd like to see here, and, and you know, so, uh, like even people who have been nominated in the past, uh, like Tina Leonard was been nominated many times before. I don't think she, I don't think she's won. She I, might have won once. I don't think she's maxed out. I, think. I assume Zabrecki's been nominated here. Uh, I believe he isn't maxed out. I, okay. I would, uh, and quite frankly, I'm just assuming that because how could you, I know he's been nominated many times? Yeah, um, uh, it's. Um, I wonder if the the Zabrecki, Tina Leonard, Arden James three way show, mm-hmm. um, like that's been going for a while, and then is it just like well Zabrecki gets nominated for it, but not the other two? Maybe right. I really I if you ask me to try to explain the electorate of this uh, of the uh, of the of the castle, I would not be able to do. I so. mean, it won't be the first time people have misjudged electorates this year. Who? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you are. Who'd you vote for? I voted for uh, David Kovac. Uh-huh. I think David Kovac is terrific. Um, oh, you know what? I don't want to be inflammatory, but I am curious about what you think. Lindsay Benner is not a magician. She's a juggler. Oh, thoughts? Um, I haven't seen the act, so I have no nothing to say uh-huh. except that the category is stage magician of the year. So. I, I do think that the palace is seems to be more inclusive of all kinds of art forms. Yes, a ver- different variety. I feel like there's always room for one variety: a juggler, uh, a shadow artist, shadow a puppeteer. Um, you know, someone who does like very, very intricate, elaborate marionettes. And um, we, it, it, on the right day, in the right, in the in the right spot, in the right show, it kills and it does great, and it yeah. has certainly has its spot. Does now since you're on stage at the in the palace, does that mean you should be eligible? Is that you know? 
that a good thing? Um, I'm not I, trying yeah. to say it's not. I'm not trying. Actually, I'm, I'm also trying not to like. I'm also trying not to like d- exclude one of the two women on this list right. by virtue of her not being a magician. But it is interesting that she is not a magician. Well, I guess I would say if the rule is just that like you performed on the palace, then you can be nominated in this right. category. I would say that then that's fair. Although these these categories are not named in a way that lines up precisely with the venues. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's stage magician of the year right. as opposed to like palace, palace perform- performer of right. the year or whatever. Um, so it seems like uh, similar to how they like adjusted the language of like the for it used to be foreign language film. I forget what the it used to be uh, used to international be, film. Yeah, is that what international it film. Yeah. So um, uh, I also don't. Yeah, I guess I feel like in a way. For example, the guy who's the guy that uh, who was the mime that just did the stuff with the bottle, where he would like be trying to grab a bottle. Oh yeah, what was that guy's name? Um, <laughs> I mean, if that guy got nominated, I'd be, I'd be fine with that because right. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really. And good I'm mime. assuming Lindsay Benner is an awesome juggler, so um, I, I guess it's it feels like it's more connected to the venue itself, and I would say they just need to adjust the name of the uh, their work. Right. Um, I'm into that. Okay, let's talk about this powerhouse last category. Uh, oh, yeah, but I, I, nominated, I voted for David Kovac. I think he's great. He's a wonderful uh-huh. MC. He's just so good, so sharp. Uh, very, very funny. Good magic. Really like him. Uh, Lecture of the year. I think this is. <laughs> this I is think insane. this is the most stacked category of the f- four. Uh, I just boy, this is this this. By the way, if there's any real reason why I want to audition and get into the castle so much it's this category right like it's the it's the nature of this category okay so let's um uh let's go down the list here the nominees for lecturer of the year of the academy of magical arts are danny dartes jonathan levitt carl hein shudogawa and woody aragon yeah oh boy that's a that's a that's a spicy list i tell you what i yeah. don't think i need to say who i voted for yeah um i voted obviously i wrote in uh Myself. <laughs> you just did a screenshot of the Mark Wilson book. Yeah. <laughs> and just sent that in. Um, uh, funny enough, I have... Uh, you've seen... I've been to three of these lectures. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen three of these lectures. Like, out of all the other categories, I've barely seen any of it, but I've seen three of these lectures. Now, I've seen four out of five of these people lecture before, not all of them at the castle this year. Like, I've seen these three of these people lecture in the last, like, six months. Right. <laughs> um... So yeah, this is a tough category yeah. because I also so I've seen I saw Danny Dirtis at Magic Magi Fest. I saw Carl Hein at Magi Fest, and I saw I helped with the Shudagawa one. Yeah. I got to assist. I got to be on stage for the Shudagawa one yeah. at the castle, um, and I can only assume that Jonathan Levitt's lecture is incredible. Um, and oh, by the way, from our last episode, I did end up purchasing his the video that he talked about. Uh, at twistingtheaces.com. Oh, uh, the ahead of the game? That, uh, is ahead of the game the one that goes through his whole act? Ahead of the game is his DVD that hits all of those yes. things in it's detail. A, so it's streaming and... Uh, yeah, so I don't know I don't know what... If it's something different is streaming, but... So it basically goes through his act. And also, I had I realized I had seen him do that act. Um, and so it's... it's uh, He talks about the card trick that you guys talked about. Um, and I will say there's a feature in that uh, material that's very helpful, which is you can get a stream. You have a, there's a video uh, where you can watch you can watch two full performances of the routine. Mm-hmm. Then 
there's a parallel set of videos that are the exact same videos with him commenting over it. Oh, cool. And about like, okay, here, you know, you can see she kind of shifted to her right and did this, so I had to do this kind of stuff. Right. Oh, that's or, very you know, interesting. Like, very helpful um, information. And very, very helpful. Um, and, then by, and then the last one here is uh, Woody Aragon. Yes. <laughs> who's, I'm sure, an amazing lecturer. Right. Uh, so you've not seen Woody Aragon lecture? I have not. Uh, yeah, I saw him lecture at FISM, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, uh, wasn't a whole lot else. So you're definitely voting for Shoot. I, I vote, I've already voted for Shoot. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, but I think these are all great. The only one I've never seen give a lecture is Carl Hine. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar? Did you watch him do like a Penguin Live or something? Or? Uh, no, but I saw him at Magi Fest. Oh, okay. How's yeah. that? Uh, it was great. And I bought, he had like a digital. What is he, uh, what is he what's, what's a Carl Hine lecture like? Uh, it is um, most, the one, my impression of it was that it was mostly card tricks. He did do a little Rubik's Cube stuff. Um, I think I mentioned these. I didn't realize, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like Carl Hine was, Near the beginning of the Rubik's Cube magic movement. Yeah, um, definitely. I think he's one of the people, like, he's one of those people that if you, you kind of need to aim for, if you need to, like, if you're going to start doing Rubik's Cube magic. Yes. Um, one of those people that's like, if I can't really do what Carl Hein or Garrett Thomas are doing, and they're right. doing it so well, like, why bother with this? Yeah. Um, I, there is effort. one uh, trick from his lecture that I am considering putting into my audition, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very neat... Uh, it starts out as a blackjack demonstration, mm-hmm. which I is not the kind of thing I'm interested in, and then turns into something else like cool. halfway through, and that's very cool. Um, but his, um, I would say his lecture and shoots lectures both felt very, um, uh, like you could walk out of it with a lot of useful thoughts and right. material. Uh, and Danny D'Ortiz's lecture felt more like. An amazing show with theory. I would say almost the bulk of the Danny D'Ortiz lecture was about using your rhythm of speech as misdirection. Right. That was almost like all of it. Um, he would he would do tricks and explain them, but then he would sort of bring it back to this model of uh, he he. I, I forget how he like explain this, but this idea of using like the punctuation in the way that you speak as a kind of musicality sure. that can interrupt or, um, you know, enhance or mm-hmm. you know, in some ways misdirect people, and then he would demonstrate it as well. Right. Um, and again, I think I've mentioned in here uh, something that I have tried to use on my husband, which did not work at all. Yes. Uh, but also because I'm I haven't practiced it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say. Because of its the 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 Danny Dirtis one is probably the one I would vote for because of how interesting it was and it was less focused on hey you're gonna walk out of here with like four things that you can put in your routine sure and more like this is an examination of like a philosophy that I have mm-hmm. so I think it might be the least pragmatic out of the lectures that I saw but the most interesting sure um, so in, in a way that this book Magic Rainbow which is not finished I imagine Magic Rainbow is kind of like that too. Like yeah. I, you probably don't come out of Magic Rainbow, the book by Juan Temeris, with a ton of material, um, but it, that there's a lot of discussion of thought and theory in it. Sure. So, uh, but I remember Shoot's lecture being very fun, right? Uh, and Shoot's lecture felt the most like a, um, like, uh, like Danny Durst's lecture is all about card tricks, right. only about card tricks. Like that's all it is, and in a way, it's almost only about any card in any number. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it's just very much. And I remember Shoot's lecture being like, uh, 
here's one thing and here's another thing. Like it felt more across disciplines. Right. Yeah, I, what I really appreciate about Shoot's lecture too is that anybody can walk in and walk out with some interesting knowledge. Yeah. He goes from very, very difficult, interesting, fun coin moves and slights and routines to a very, very simple three-card money that is not that difficult to do. And, you know, uh, in fact, his lecture DVD this past couple of years is called Easy Hard, and it is comprised of half very easy routines that are mm-hmm. really good and half really hard routines. So uh, and then he goes from coins to cards. He has difficult memorized deck stuff. He has really easy memorized deck stuff. He has sort of a system by which he can help you do that. So it's kind of there's there's really good stuff across the board that also is always underscored by kind of no matter who you are there is something interesting to, to take out of this and if you like hard stuff there's cool easy stuff that you can learn and appreciate uh, and and watch and if you if you only like to do easier stuff there's still fun cool hard stuff for you to maybe aspire to or learn from or just enjoy sometimes they'll even do difficult things and go look I know you're not gonna do this mm. but isn't this fun right. I ha- I'll sell this to you if you want it. I know you're probably not going to do it, but now you know that it exists. Am I recalling correctly that um, he had like he has multiple versions of Matrix that are harder and harder? Yes, yes. I mean, he has. I, I would say oh, a dozen Matrixes that are probably across all of his DVDs. Uh-huh. He has a five DVD coin, a five uh, DVD set of coin tricks, um, which is called Coins One Through Five. Um, you know, I I would say his he uh, uh, he has some ma- like two different matrices, an easy one and a hard one on that easy hard DVD. He has a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, yeah, I I, I, uh, I so like I remember him saying like, here's the one, and then if you want to do it, you know, right. So there's this exception. So there's this one decently difficult, ma- not really that hard, but you know, tough matrix to do, um, or not, not uh, more difficult than your average matrix. Mm. So, uh, that does a couple cool things. I've done it in my show. I've 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 performed shoots. Matrix uh, by the, the way, show. is a regular matrix considered hard or not? No, I don't think it's particularly difficult. Okay. No, um, it's not. I mean, it takes some practice, but it's not. It's not that hard. Uh, I I learned one when I was like fifty. You know, I've been in magic for about six months or so, and mm-hmm. and I started doing it a lot. I auditioned for the Magic Castle Junior program with the matrix that shoot helped me work on mm. the two phase uh, matrix. It was I still do sometimes. So uh, he does a. Uh, you know, middle of the road matrix, and he goes. You know, some people, some of you might think this is kind of hard, or you don't want to touch it, or you know. So for that, for those people, here's this, and then he does an incredibly hard one, mm-hmm. and then he shows how it's done, and he goes. Now I know that looks hard, but now that other one looks a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of it. Just he has this one incredible matrix where he covers up all four coins. They don't actually travel. He just turns over the cards and all four coins have vanished and they immediately reappear back in the four corners. Oh. And it's uh, fucking tough. Um, uh, that is on one of those coin DVDs. Can you do that one? Can I perform it? No. Have I physically done it? <laughs> have I physically gotten through it? Yes. But would I ever show it to an audience the way he does? Yeah. And what's funny is I believe he also has a version that is like a e- much easier version of that. Because uh-huh. that is basically he's palming like a shit ton of coins. Yeah. And then he has another version where he doesn't palm any coins. Oh, right. I um, think he talked about it in his lecture, actually. Yeah. So, uh, so um, I just I, there's so much variety. Um, and, and, I, and not only is it because that like you know few people – in the world of magic, have done more for me in my life than Shudagawa, uh, if anybody. But beyond that, I still think that he does have a terrific lecture. I think he is one of the best lecturers, one of the best magicians in the world, and so I, uh, I support him. Uh, so I voted for him for lecturer of the year. Um, and I've, uh, if you have, if you haven't sent in your ballot yet, I also still support him strongly for the board of trustees. Oh yeah, 
Uh, when do those results get? Uh, uh, oh, probably not for about another month. Voting ends this weekend, though. You have to have you have to send in a ballot to a law office in Torrance. Oh, oh Lord. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Um, so that's magic this week. Yes, yeah, so um, those are my my picks are Armando Lucero. So, so if you had to vote off this list, who would you vote for? Because mine are Armando Lucero. Uh, I mean, using about Arthur as much Trace, about as much rigor as Shudagawa. Yeah, the same amount of rigor based voting for people that I have not uh, seen. Mm-hmm. I would vote for uh, Aussie Wind. I'd vote for in Parlor. Uh, let's just say I'll vote for Derek Hughes uh, because I have been friendly with him. <laughs> this is probably how decisions are made. Honestly, he's a nice guy. Uh, and then Very Stage, nice I'll, I would be happy if you won. Stage, I'll vote for Lucy Darling mm-hmm. to support uh, women in the in the Parlor. And then for lecturer, I'll probably vote Danny Dirtes. Cool. Um, but really, any of these, especially lecture, it's like <laughs> any of those is fine. Right. Uh, do you have any shows coming up? Well, I certainly don't. <laughs> for now, potentially, I have, I'm supposed to be at Magic Bar on March 30th and 31st. I'm supposed to be at the Ma- Chicago Magic Lounge on uh, April um, uh, 19th through 26th. Um, I'm supposed to be hosting Magic Bar on with Siegfried Tiber on Monday, the 23rd of March. Uh-huh. Um, as far as I know. Well, that's only, all... what, 12 people? To, or uh, like, 18. It's well under the limit of people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they are... Enclosed in a very small room, right? Uh, <laughs> and you do that and, thing and, where you have them all breathe into each other's mouths, right? We all spit in each other's mouths as a as yeah. a sign of trust. Um, but I, I mean, I I hosted Magic Bar this past Tuesday with Mark Matsumoto, who was great. Uh, Mark Matsumoto, listener to the podcast, I learned. Huh? So shout out to Mark Matsumoto. Did a very very, very some very good shows on Tuesday. Um, uh, I did love that I had to you know ring people up on an iPod pad that 11 people touched. I thought show. about that too. I bought um, like a bagel the other day and you know, everybody now has the little pad they swing around. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm physically touching the screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't realize until you're making drinks behind a bar, how much stuff I was touching. Yeah. I was touching so much stuff. You were like Rudy Gobert at a press conference, <laughs> touching all those mics. Um, all right. Uh, so I have shows for now, and if they can't, you know. Uh, yes. I, I, we, uh, Robert and I might do um, – this is early and it's not scheduled, so don't get your hopes up. We might do a um, our Peller show at uh, Magic Mondays when Magic Monday kicks up in May. Cool. Uh, and that goes usually through, like, the summer, so – Hopefully we'll get to do that. Uh, I do not have any shows because all of my shows are at UCB and they've wow, so been all suspended. UCB, all UCB shows have been suspended. Suspended Holy shit. indefinitely, um, which uh, honestly is fine. Um, <laughs> I had to do. Well, I had a gig that I didn't want to do today that got canceled, so that was nice. What and, was that? Uh, it was a uh, comedy show at Union Station for the public. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, so you don't that got be canceled, there. and then uh, Magic Two was canceled. <laughs> not just. Shayfield lands at the airport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, so I was supposed to be in Baby Wants Candy tomorrow. That's been suspended as well. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm wow. fine. I'm going to stay. Uh, the thing is, I'm really built for, I'm really okay with this. <laughs> uh, look, I make podcasts, I play computer games, and I buy magic. Right. Like, my entire life is built for just staying at home and not seeing people. <laughs> right. And you know what? I suspect a lot of the listeners of our podcast are just fine with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got my gaming computer. We're going to download a few games, maybe take some recommendations for you. Wait, yeah. wait up I mean, I don't, I don't know how many listeners of our podcast are just, like, out uh, on every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night just, like, clubbing. Just fucking yeah. partying. Just fucking getting that molly. Getting that molly. <laughs> um, you know, so I think we'll all be fine. We'll, we'll keep giving you a podcast to listen to. Right. Uh, so we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>